Whoa. That is pretty sick, dude. That is crazy. Immortalized in Rylan Hormel's first book. When do you feel free? Wow. Congrats. There we go. Thank you. Hello, my friends, and welcome back to the Freestyle Wave podcast. In today's episode, I host my friend and former co-host of the podcast, Rylan Hormel, who just got his first book published titled, When Do You Feel Free? And in today's discussion, we get into everything book and more. So uh, I highly recommend that you listen through. Uh, Rylan is a, a great guy with a very generous and compassionate heart. And although I haven't had a chance to read the book and see it yet, uh, my sense is that it's going to move you. And uh, I'm excited for that. So enjoy this conversation. And if you uh, do enjoy the conversation, do me a favor and rate, review the podcast, share the podcast. The, the last episode with uh, Dr. Kara Miller did really well. Uh, people took the time to share it on Instagram, Twitter, Facebook, and it just does uh, wonders for the podcast itself. It, it just helps give access. And selfishly, of course, that's something that I want to see happen, but it also validates the time and effort that the guests that I have on the podcast uh, put into making an appearance on the show. So uh, if you can rate review, I would greatly appreciate it. And uh, other than that, uh, much love. Enjoy this uh, conversation with Rylan Hormel, and I'll see you next week. We'll talk to you next week. You see me. I don't really get to see you, uh, but you know what I mean. All right, enough of that. Enjoy it. Talk soon. This is the freestyle way. Talk, talk to me. How, how did it feel to hold the book for the first time? Hmm. It was certainly a, a, a moment that I, I am. You remember? Moose how, is you, here. you remember how this goes, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. Moose is here. Didn't we have that one episode we did together where he was just like all over you and yeah. I, I was trying I was trying to find it actually and I, I forget when it was. I think we recorded that in late twenty nineteen or very early twenty twenty. I think it was like January or something at your place. Anyways, uh, I'm curious. Um yeah, how 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 did it feel? Because I remember when I first got my book, I was at Acro Sports, I opened the box and then I saw the book for the first time. And that was like a very special moment for me. So I'm curious, yeah, what what was it like for you? Yeah, I so I had my friend Jason, who I run the Live Better Retreats with, in town with me. And we had been traveling around a bunch. I had, trying to think, yeah, we, I was just kind of sh showing him around the bay and and. I was anticipating the book getting delivered that week, but I wasn't 100% certain. And then it did. And I remember not opening it. I was like, I want to wait for you to leave and just like sit down and take a moment. I, I think I ended up building it up too much in my head. You know, <clears throat> you might have had a similar experience, but then I, I finally had, you know, the day to kind of do nothing. And I woke up, I made some, you know, coffee and sat down with it, kind of, you know, took in the moment and, 
you know, feeling anxious, excited, all, all of the emotions that, that come with that. And, uh, yeah, opened it and just, it, it, it's a combination of like being completely surreal that you like can't believe that one small decision led to that. Right. And I can get into this kind of like the, the story of the process of how it came to be, but you know, just looking back at like kind of what I consider like the origin of the book. Right. <clears throat> and then I'm now holding it in my hands yet for most of the process, the book being a, f a physical product wasn't even the plan. Right. And so it's, it, it, it's super cool, but it was also this moment of like, Oh, cool. You know, like it, it it's not as big as I think I've made it up to be in my head because now it feels like a whole new chapter is beginning with it. Like I, I thought I would have closure, which I did, but it was also like, I mean, I don't have kids, but <laughs> I keep telling people it's like dropping a kid off at college and saying, all right, <clears throat> let's go see how you impact the world. And so now that I'm holding it in my hands, it feels like it's, it's out of my hands in a way too, right? Where now it gets to have an impact on people that's somewhat out of my control or it is out of my control. And so now it's time for me to kind of just acknowledge it, just appreciate the process. I think it just reminded me of like the good times and the bad times that went into making it and the passion I had and how much I miss being on the road, but yeah. So it was kind of a combination of, of a bunch of things. But I think the most interesting part for me was this um, kind of moment of like, okay, here's a new, a new beginning with this because it now gets to take form as, as a piece of art. Mm -hmm. And what, what was the inception of the book? Like, how did this come about? Yeah, it, it was in the middle of COVID and... I was in Sebastopol up in north of the bay and I was at this vintage antique warehouse called the Antique Society and they have a bunch of different like booths set up and you can just kind of browse and and one of them had this book called the I think it's the Cowboy Hero it's kind of like a sociological book about cowboy culture in America and the way it's impacted media, music, film, you name it. Right. But it did not really get into the like professional cowboy, right? Like the actual identity of a cowboy. And I picked it up because I, you know, I'm just interested in that image and those stories like Western style. So beautiful to me. <clears throat> And I have a cousin who's a, a, a cowboy in New Mexico. And I was inspired after reading that to call him and, and just ask if I could go document his life and his profession for a few weeks. And part of it for me was also wanting to get out of the Bay Area during COVID. And I needed some freedom. I needed open space and just connection with other people, other ideas, other perspectives. So... Yeah, that picking up of the book led me to then go to New Mexico, spend three weeks with cowboys learning how to ride horses, took me out on jobs, 
and it was at the end of these days where we'd be sitting around drinking beers and every single one of these cowboys that I was with would say something about freedom in their own words along the lines of, you know, we may not make a lot of money doing this work, but we are free to, to live the life that we want. So that experience kind of planted the seed of freedom in my mind of, of in the sense of like wanting to explore that word alongside like a long form project. So I took that idea of cowboys and freedom back to San Francisco and I was workshopping this idea with one of my teachers at the time. And she just asked me the question, when do you feel free? And it, it just sent this shockwave through my body and it started to kind of reframe my perspective on freedom and move it away from being this kind of destination mindset, this fictional place of which I had to acquire a bunch of things to feel or to experience to this reminder that it's something I can maybe just uncover today. And that question then opened up a series of more questions for me of, you know, well, what are the things that bring me that feeling and what is that feeling? Um, so I started to ask more people that question and it, long story short, it just kind of started to take on this own form and energy and power. And it's one of the few times in my life, especially with photography, where I felt like I had something that I had to pursue more deeply and I had no choice. And that's when I designed the road trip to travel across America, connect with people from all different walks of life and communities, interview them about freedom, ask them the question, when do you feel free, collect their handwritten response and take their portrait. But it it started with picking up a book. And uh, now looking back, uh, without defining freedom as this is something that is, I guess it's one's individual like perception of a reality. Uh, what what would you say has has changed for you in terms of your your sense of um, not necessarily freedom per se, but your ability to pursue uh, things without feeling uh, maybe the burden or the pressure or the, you know, because with the book, for example, as soon as you, you decide to write a book or put together a book, uh, now you have deadlines, you have expectations, and that doesn't sound like something that's freeing, yet it's required to access some sort of sense of freedom. So my curiosity is now... Uh, having done the whole thing, completed the thing, uh, given birth to this book, yeah, what has changed for you in regards to your relationship to your sense of freedom, we could call it? E. That's a really good question. Well, I think the first part of that is this kind of recognition around the relationship that discipline and freedom have. And I think that's one of the things I've learned is that I've always, well, I think the kind of the foundation of freedom is something that 
it needs a, a constraint of some form for freedom to exist. It's the breaking away of a constraint loosely, right? And so I've always, I think, shied away from these constraints where I've looked at like times when I played soccer in college, for example, and, you know, season would be fun, but, you know, the constant waking up early, going to practice, the discipline day in, day out, I'd be excited for the season to end too, because there was a sense of freedom with that. But what I'm realizing now is that it's the discipline that, that created that. Right. And so I think I've learned to build that relationship in my own life, really just with myself, where I've realized that if I'm not able to apply a kind of self-discipline like someone else will. And so it's not so much about uh, having it or not or avoiding it or not. Like it's going to be there whether you like it or not. So you might as well take as much control of it as you can. And so the little things for me are just, you know, trying to stay on top of my health and my mindset and get good sleep and eat well and just control the, the little things I can and notice how when I do that, there's times throughout the day of which I experience these just fleeting moments of pause between the past and the future and I'm able to just feeling engaged with myself and life around me. And when I don't kind of apply my own discipline and get a little too floaty and, and just loosey goosey with my life, um, someone I talked to recently coined it as like being like jello, right? Where you're just kind of bouncing back and forth. Uh, when I'm in that kind of phase or state, then I, there's all this constriction that happens around it. And it's really kind of counterintuitive because it's like the more loose and free you are sometimes, the more constrained you feel. And on the flip side, the more constrained you are deliberately, the more freedom you can actually apply or access in your life. So I think that was one thing I learned. And then the other thing for me, to be honest, I mean, I've talked to... I interviewed over a hundred people in my book, all of which I spent a minimum of like one hour with. So I've, I've, I've logged a lot of hours talking just about the word freedom and it's an incredibly loaded word. And I just even had a moment the other day, every time I start to feel like I think I know what freedom is, <laughs> I'll talk to someone that completely crushes my ego around it and and makes me realize that I know so little about it still right and it's such a it's a very complex word because it lives in two kind of arenas one of them is just inherent freedom that we get to possess as individuals and humans and then there's freedom societally and extrinsic freedom that's derivative and you know, that side of freedom is not created equal and it may never be. Uh, and it was one of the, the ins my personal <clears throat> inspirations behind the book was to explore my own relationship with freedom and to see how the perspectives of other people could impact that and help me learn and grow. And, you know, by nature of my background, I have 
a certain access to freedom that maybe other people don't. And it was just cool to find ways to, to connect with individuals from all over America, all different walks of life, um, different colors of our skin, different political beliefs, you name it. You know, I really wanted to put myself around just a collective of perspective. And I think there's freedom in challenging our like beliefs and our ideas and yeah. But I mean, it's, it's, it's a hard question to answer because every time I feel like I know what freedom is, I, like I said, like I talked to someone the other day that just made me take a step back and check myself and be like, okay, I'm still, and always will be learning what this word means to me. Mm -hmm. Yeah. I mean, you got yourself in a pickle there for sure <laughs> with this question, Yeah, uh, but I think it's, it's great. And it's something that is infinite in its opportunity for exploration. So, uh, the, the the way that I see it in my head right now is I see two um, lanes. I see on one side this idea of discipline, which is taking responsibility of that which is in your control, having uh, routine systems, methods, uh, showing up daily, the consistency, and creating some sort of security that provides you with, let's say, a baseline of health or fitness that allows you to continue to express yourself through your body. And that influencing your mind and your emotional state and leading to a sense of well-being and that being kind of the at the core of you being free, which is simply being able to live, operate in this world. That's that's on one end. And then on the other end, there's this um, this lane that's around mindset. Uh, I think it's around mindset, which is that which uh, you're aware of of being the narrative in your head, the story that you're telling yourself, and that informs your belief system, and thus uh, the lens through which you see the world. And um, I know just from knowing you that you you are a healthy person, fit person, you, uh, you, you, you are well-regulated, so to speak. And I also know that you have um, a certain belief system, and that belief system has since we met each other for the first time, maybe, what was it, four years ago now or five years ago, four years ago maybe, uh, I know that I've seen it slightly change. And I'm curious if now that you've interviewed over 100 people around this idea of freedom, if your belief system um, has changed when it comes to uh, your views on uh, society capitalism, race, uh, you know, uh, what is the United States of America? Who, who are we in this world? Uh, what is fair? What is not fair? Um, has anything in particular changed where you're like, oh, shit, I used to think this way, but uh, I don't think that's true anymore? Yeah, uh, I think one concept that kept coming up for me along the way was, and it's around beliefs, where we... Uh, we're just so guarded and protected of them, right? And I noticed that at times when someone would say something that would maybe challenge my belief or even I would feel like maybe my belief is starting to, to change, I would feel almost some shame around that, like I'm I'm losing. And I'm like, God, that that sucks. You know, like why, what if we could 
celebrate the moments of which our perspectives are changed, right? And celebrate these moments of growth and amplification. And so I think, I mean, if we're talking about it societally, it's a very, it's really it's hard. A very hard it's yeah, a, that's a very hard question. I, I, I know where I'm going to go with it. Actually, is that I learned how individual all of our experiences could be, right? And and I learned how to listen and to you know, just recognize that maybe we're always judging, you know, maybe to say stop judging is like an unfair expectation, but can you build the muscle or can I build the muscle to, to recognize my judgments quickly and let them go quickly. And, and to realize that it has nothing to do with that other person, right? Maybe the thing I'm judging is poking and provoking something within myself that is feeling challenged or insecure. So that ability just to slow down and listen. And one of the things that helped me do that and help kind of shed light upon myself was I would record a lot of these interviews, not necessarily, I didn't know why I was recording them, right? Maybe for the introduction of the book to take some quotes out of it. But I ended up using it as kind of a training tool where I'd go back and listen to it. And if I listened to the interviews I did of the first one to two months of the project, I started to notice how much I was trying to guide people's answers into like fitting into what I believe or what I wanted to hear. And I learned to, you know, stop doing that. And I, I, I didn't like how that sounded. Right. And, and so I, then when I listened back to like the recordings from the last three months of the project, I was much more quiet you know i would just ask questions and and step back and listen and then follow up with curiosity as opposed to whatever it is that i believe and so it's this kind of like tightrope of of balancing a conversation and keeping it within the realm of a conversation and not letting it get into like an argument right and not feeling like the purpose of it has to be a win or lose type of situation amongst two people. So I think that's where it just helped me like build a lot of empathy and compassion for a lot of people really through the framework of realizing that I don't know as much as I thought I knew and I never will. Right. And so these lives of people who are in, you know, when I'd go to places like Florida or Louisiana, Georgia, California, Colorado, right? All very different belief systems across the board. And there's that kind of sociological understanding of just like, there's reasons why all, all of this exists and there's a pattern to it. Um, and I think the more we can connect as individuals, the more we can like see that and understand it. And then, you know, I, I mean, my, my hope, I think with this book is to help people connect more deeply to themselves by way of connecting with others. I like that, which is interesting because uh, one thing that you mentioned was the the importance of individuality, yet individuality can only exist in relationship to others. Thus, <laughs> being in relationship to others can't be um, separated 
it can't be a separate thing from one's individuality. That's it's powerful. Yeah, and you know, I think I'm I'm someone that can kind of just live in the middle a lot, right? Where I I don't feel the need. Yeah, you're you're good at that. Yeah, and I don't think that's like the way everyone needs to be either, right? I think there's a necessity for you know people to be really hard headed about their beliefs and ideas, and that pushes change too, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, yeah, that's what I was actually going to yeah. get to, and, and and this it was this idea that when it comes to beliefs, everybody believes they're right. I think that's the that's the common ground. Uh, and the question is, how can you have a belief that leads to allowing you to make decisions in a way that serves you and still have the openness and possibility that whatever you believe to be true today can be uh, false tomorrow or change tomorrow? For me, when I, when, I, when I feel that, I'm like, oh, that's, that gives me a lot of freedom. It gives me a sense of freedom. Does that resonate with you? Is that something that you have kind of heard through these conversations or is it just something that I'm making up right now? Part of what we're talking about then is like the attachments we have to our beliefs, right? And attachments are constraints. And so I think, and I don't know how how true this statement is, but I, I started to reframe it in my mind of like, can I shift my beliefs into ideas? Because then they're more fluid, you know, they're more susceptible to change and they follow a more open mind. And I don't need to defend my ideas because they're just ideas. And can that help then reinforce what I believe? And can I challenge what I believe too, so that I can actually feel like at the end of the day, it's actually what I believe. It's not what someone else has told me what to believe. So a lot of it is the willing, I think willingness to unlearn, relearn, rewire, be right, be wrong. But there's a lot of willingness that goes along with that. But I think you're right in in the sense of uh, like being excited for our beliefs maybe like change is not the right word because it feels like it is moving it from like one side to another as much as like a belief can grow, right? It can like become, it can evolve and maybe it evolves in a totally different direction. It takes a 180. Uh, But yeah, I mean, there was a lot of conversations I had with people who were able to challenge my beliefs without them even knowing that they were doing it. Right. And I think those are some pretty incredible moments because then there's like a purity to it. You know, like I, I don't have to defend it. I can just go home in reflection and just think about it at night and just be like, wow, okay, this is something's happening. And, um, I, I, I just really appreciate that too. Um, Mm -hmm. That's cool. Yeah, uh, yeah, that's really cool. Yeah, there's so many ways that we could take this uh, conversation. Um, but as a as a little segue, uh, would you be willing to uh, open your book and maybe uh, read um, a quote or two? Yeah, 
Let me find some good ones. So here we have yeah, it. Yeah, pick pick any. Have you been asked to read one of these before? Not on live on that live podcast, but you'll you'll <laughs> laugh because I did just open up to a random page and look who it is. No way, B Boy Wicket. B Boy Wicket. Let's see what he has to say. Wick wrote, "Playing basketball makes me feel free. It reminds me of when I was a kid before I knew I was gay, before I realized I would have to hide my true self." Playing basketball makes me feel free. That's amazing. Uh, a lot to unpack on that one because B-Boy Wicket is known for breaking and dancing, yet doing this other thing, which is playing basketball, which uh, if you were to look at him, you wouldn't say that he fits the basketball player stereotype. <laughs> uh, right? And then that leading to... Uh, yeah, his identity and the way that he expresses himself and how that, yeah, becomes this, yeah, not only catalyst for self-reflection, but but also giving him the tools to be able to navigate some of those challenging times of, yeah, pre-coming out. Yeah, and, and how basketball is that kind of like what we were talking about before, this like fleeting pause between the past and the future, right? You can let the, the anxiety of the past go and the worry of the future just dissipate for a moment and, and allow it to come back later, right? But it's, and, and I, I connect with what he said about basketball. It does a similar thing for me, you know, just go into a, a court with the ball and just shooting for 30 minutes to an hour and the more you do it, the quicker you can kind of just slip into that meditative flow state with it. And I think, yeah, that's like a lot of, a lot of these answers, you know, had something to do with um, some type of activity where, you know, creativity is enhanced or it, it just puts you into a state of flow. Uh, and I think like m music or dancing, like that's a really big common thread. Uh, art, whether that's like painting or sculpture, uh, photography. Um, one that just popped up here, this is, I mean, one of my favorite stories of the book, this man, Jerry, who was a <clears throat> homeless man I met in New Orleans, and I was just walking around by myself. It was about... 105 degrees out. It was very, very hot. He was sitting in this kind of intersection of the road with his dog, and we just started talking. And I eventually told him about the book, and I was like, would you be open to, to being in it? And he's like, sure, but you want to see where I live in my tent down by the river and meet my pet gator? It's like, huh, maybe, but I guess that's why, you know, it's part of why I'm doing this work. And I just had a good feeling with him from the start. He was just a really nice, genuine dude. And he, that's exactly what he ended up being. But he walked me across the railroad tracks, you know, down through the swamp. We made it to the Mississippi River, his tents right there. And there actually was like an eight foot gator, like right next to it. Not his actual pet, but you know, like lives in in the the regions. It quickly hopped in in the water, and then Jerry and I sat by his tent for an hour, just talking about freedom and what he ended up writing at the end. It just really moved me. Both of 
the things he wrote. One was, um, when I'm with nature, alone in the woods, listening to all of God's creators. And the other is just about helping others when I can and doing the right thing makes all the difference in life. And I don't know, I just was really moved by, by Jerry because, you know, I think my my assumptions going into that, right, was, okay, here's a man who was a, you know, veteran and, and I think the army is living in a tent in this scorching heat and doesn't have a lot of things by way of materials, yet his answer is about being selfless. It's about helping other people and giving and not taking. And... <clears throat> You know, that was just one of those moments that just really hit me hard and made me just think and slow down the whole rest of the day. And I think there is a freedom we get in terms of being able to give to others. But it's also like that. I'm curious what you think about this, Carl, because there's also the flip side of it where you can overgive and, and, you know, you're so empty and you're kind of using like helping others as a way to avoid helping yourself. But I think like when we're really able to give to others with like a sense of clarity and deliberation, in a way it, it reflects back into the state that we're in. We're in like, we have steady ground to stand on. We've done the kind of individual work in a way to be able to then be selfless. Does that makes sense to you? Yeah, for sure. I mean, I think it, you, you kind of, it's like a weaving a basket kind of thing. You have to, you know, weave in and out to create this container and this container now just being like a metaphor for your own well-being and being resourced and all these things uh, that allow you to be able to carry the things that you need to be who you want to be, do what you want to do, and then hopefully that being overflowing in a way that allows you to give. Uh, so, so yeah, you have to be, in order to give, you need to be able to receive. And, uh, you know, I, I, I quote Maya Angelou all the time when it comes to this, but whatever you want, you need to be first. So, uh, yeah, if you, if you want to be a, a giver, like if you want to be somebody who serves or helps or supports, um, you need to also be supported. Like you need to be that. And I know that for me, um, a lot of times I don't want to be on the receiving end. Like I, I, I've gone even into the like habit of like not wanting presents, not wanting celebration, not wanting like, you know, not don't give me anything. And, um, and most of that comes down to uh, self-worth, I think, where I'm like, oh, I'm not worthy of good things. I'm not worthy of um, being celebrated or whatever. Or uh, And that even goes to, well, if I have to, uh, if I'm going to be celebrated, then I have to be thankful or grateful for it. And if I'm in a state where I feel depleted, and not able to feel any gratitude or whatever it may be, now it becomes a chore to be grateful. Like I have to say a thing, uh, say uh, send a thank you note or something like that uh, to show my appreciation. 
th- that becomes exhausting. Like you almost and o- that, owe something, right? Yeah, 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 yeah. yeah. So, and I think that's something that um, when it comes to mental health, it's a big problem. And somebody who's maybe uh, served in the military comes back, maybe has uh, not only PTSD from what they experienced, but now not being able to um, receive the support that they needed um, can end up in a place where there's some pretty big holes in that basket. So no matter how much you try to carry, there's just nothing there. And then you can, you know, hide or mask that pain, hurt, those holes in that basket, however you want to look at it, with just this idea of of giving. Because uh, giving feels good. Like you're going to give something and then maybe there's going to be appreciation and it feels good on both ways. So it's like it never feels bad to to give. But receiving can be hard. And I think I it, it's just... It's a little bit of a, a mind fuck actually when you when you think about it that way. But um I think that's what you see and this is just my opinion, uh completely ignorant uh on this topic, but uh, living in the Bay Area, having seen homelessness, for example, just increase exponentially over the years, having engaged with uh several people who um as uh, uh, now it's politically correct to say the how the unhomed unhoused unhoused uh, yeah there's a there's some pretty big mental health holes there where it's it's easier to stay on the streets and then to cope with uh, you can say you know acts of kindness. Uh, or um, substance abuse, like we're seeing. I mean, right now I drive into the city and it's absolutely depressing when I see um, the tenderloin uh, with basically zombies of people just like bent over. And it's it's mortifying. And you, you just start to wonder, like, how did you get there? And whose responsibility is this now? And uh, it seems like Regardless of circumstance prior to that moment, there were some pretty big holes in that basket. And what was maybe potentially an inability to receive pre that moment, after this, whatever happened, uh, and what they're in right now just makes it almost impossible. Thus, somebody else has to kind of take over. Uh, But then we get into the ideas of, freedom, freedom of choice. Uh, and now you, you're paying people uh, hundreds of thousands of dollars to try to uh, remedy the problem, but they can't do it because uh, any remedy seems to be inhumane, seems to be uh, oppressive, seems to be, uh, yeah, unfair. Yeah, and then <clears throat> I think you hit the nail on the head of, of it there's a lot, but I mean, just acknowledging the fact that it's a, you know, it's a mental health issue by and large. And I think, yeah, the, the, it, it creates a thread of like 
of compassion and just like the necessity to, I think going back to like what we were saying before of like seeing the the kind of individualism that comes alongside that and that there's like patterns to everyone's story that, um, you know, maybe, maybe we are life at some point of time, whether it was recent or decades ago was one decision away from a similar type of path. Right. Um, but yeah, then it's like, because I get what you're saying at, at that point of like the giving and the receiving when it becomes some becomes someone else's problem then what's the way forward and 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 maybe there's a, a way to to reframe this idea of like being like someone else's problem as much as like it's a part of like our our responsibility as human beings and our ability to connect with one another to find ways to organize as as groups to lift each other up too right and that's the thing i i've noticed living in the city growing up in san francisco was how much people choose not to try to understand because it helps them feel and it helps them just remain in with their beliefs right if we're going back to beliefs it's more comfortable and i had a moment when i lived in god this uh, such is one of those like you know defining moments in your life that someone changed how i see the whole world but i moved into west oakland a neighborhood that was being gentrified and i was contributing to the gentrification right and one of my neighbors was this black woman she was a queer preacher and just amazing amazing person came up to me you know one of the first days i moved in introduced herself welcomed me to the neighborhood and there was a lot of unhoused individuals that you know lived around the block like one of one of them was sleeping on my doorstep for a couple weeks you know they were kind of integral parts of the community and one and one of the first things she said to me was, "See everyone that's unhoused. Well, they're not homeless. They're your neighbors. Like, go get to know them. Ask them what their name is. Help them out. Treat them with respect. And if you can do that, then I'll be your neighbor, and I got your back. And just the way she said it, with a certain level of authority too, that made me appreciate." like local community, you know, where it's like, those are kind of the ambassadors that kind of help you just teach you how to live in that space with respect and to be a good citizen. And so it changed my relationship with everyone on that kind of block that was unhoused, who I ended up being friends with, you know, to a certain degree. And that then changed the way I see the whole world and, you know, my ability to connect with people who are, you know, on, on the street and, um, yeah. And, and just, I think like the, the simple way to kind of begin to do that is just to like ask, ask someone what their name is and just see where that, and just see where that goes. Right. And yeah, some people are, are maybe not in a mental state or capacity to engage with at all right but there's a lot of people even in my in my book that i met along the journey that um 
were incredible and, and had so much wisdom and story to share with me. Um, and now what I'm realizing is like listening is also a form of receiving too. And receiving in that way, it's interesting. It's a form of giving, right? Because if you give to me and you, and that makes you feel good, right? My ability to, to receive that fully is going to then create a thread back to you to help you feel even better about that. Right. And if I can't receive it, then it creates some type of barrier and blockage on your giving to me. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I mean, there's so, so many layers to this. Uh, you reminded me of, of a couple of things. One, uh, when I lived in the city in San Francisco on 12th and Geary, right by Park Presidio, you know, that green strip that connects Golden Gate Park and the Presidio. Yeah. I used to live so, right there on Arguello. Yeah. yeah. Mm hmm. So anyways, there was uh, one one gentleman who lived in the park there, and uh, he passed away. And actually, the the block uh, created a memorial for this person, and he was unhoused. So so that was pretty cool. And then I remember going to the the Starbucks that was just down the street on on Gary, and I would go there all the time before going to work. And, and there was always this gentleman, uh, Mike was his name who sat outside of um, the Starbucks and just hoping to, you know, maybe catch a little change, maybe some food, something. And um, he was also unhoused, had been uh, on the streets for a long time. And I would just say, you know, at first it was just hello, and then eventually, do you want something? And uh, then it was, what's your name? And then it was, how you doing? And then it was kind of, this thing where you, you kind of run into somebody on the street. So it's just, you're not thinking about their status mm. in society. And there's a level of freedom to to that. But eventually, um, I got to this point where, okay, now the rainy season starts. Um, he has wet shoes and socks. And I'm like, hey, what's your size? So I just ran over to Ross across the street and I got him uh, socks and some Converse. And he was so excited. You know, he was just so excited that I got him these these shoes and, and dry socks. For him, that was like this big deal. And it cost me very little to, to do that. It was a little bit of time and a little bit of money. But he was pumped. And that led us to him uh, opening up a little bit more about his situation. And basically, uh, he, he lost his mother. Uh, he split up from his partner, lost connection with his daughter. And he, this was in Bakersfield, and then he, he moved to San Francisco because um, there was more resources for somebody like him to, to be able to make it through without having a job and not having the capacity to like, get back on his feet. Um, and the thing that he kept on saying was, I just want my daughter, if she ever sees me, to feel uh, proud of me. And that was his like, connection, his idea of like, what freedom could be. So in my head, the the hammer seeing the nail, I'm like, you know what? I'm going to help you. I'm going to fix you. So I'm like, what do you need? He's like, oh, I need I need to get my social security uh, number. Uh, okay, so how do we get that? So now we, we start doing the process. And uh, okay, now you need a mailing address. Well, am I going to allow him to mail things to my house? And that's where like boundaries start to pop up. 
I'm like, hmm, how close do I let this person in in my world? And this is this is a big thing because when it comes to freedom, we all want to have uh, room to move around and move about the cabin. But how much are we willing to allow others to uh, encroach on our space? Right. And this is a little bit of what um, this woman in, in Oakland was maybe alluding to. It's kind of like, hey, if you're going to enter this space uh, in order to you to have your space you need to contribute to the space in some way or be connected to the space in some way so that we know how to work with one another anyways uh super long story short um we got a we got a p.o box we started like making moves and then i started started to get him to you know get an id he was going to get a job down at um, taco bell and uh, kfc and as soon as that started to happen he disappeared and he never came back ever again. Mm. And his friend, I asked him, hey, where did he go? He's like, uh, he, he's in Berkeley now. I was like, how so? He's like, I, I, couldn't, I couldn't tell you. But here I was doing the help according to the thing that this person envisioned as um, the ultimate goal and a path to the goal. And, um, yeah, he, he left his home basically where he was, uh, to go somewhere else because I decided to, yeah, control or help or, and, and you can see it from both sides. It's kind of like, we all have to just take responsibility for our own things. Totally. But it's an interesting thing about freedom when it comes to shared freedom. Yeah. I mean, I, I, I know you've shared that story with me before and I, I, I mean, it's it's so interesting because there's no, I think it sheds light on how we just don't know the solution to that type of stuff. And, you know, at the end of the day, you're just trying to be a good person, you know, and to to act with compassion and connect with humanity. And who knows where that leads, right? And I think, I mean... San Francisco has been trying to figure out this quote unquote problem forever. And it only seems to be getting worse. And, uh, and it, 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 it does shed light onto this idea of like societal freedom at a big level too. And I think that can be juxtaposed with the recognition that even within that, group that's highly limited societally, they still have an ability to experience freedom, right? And there's that inherent side that can connect us. And I mean, I I don't have any of the answers, but what I what I believe, <laughs> going back to beliefs, is, you know, I think if we can lean on our ability to be human, lean on to humanity and, and to find ways to exercise our compassion then I think it puts us in the right direction of change without me stating that I know what the technicalities of that change should be or are. But I think it does need to follow a certain type of force of connection, you know, and I think there's freedom within connection, whether that's we experience it when we connect to nature, when we get lost in the woods or up at a 
peak of a mountain watching a sunrise or sunset like that just dissolves everything around us for a moment right and makes us feel this this beauty of life it it makes us feel small but not in a bad way in a good one right where it's just we're so grateful just to be a part of it right we're not terrified at this like our ego is not involved in that moment of, of feeling small it's like it's a it's a good feeling but we also get that freedom when we connect with others right like even you and i right now i haven't thought about any of the, anything i need to do the rest of today you know within the last you know 50 minutes that we've been talking and so i think yeah just finding ways to to connect and exercise compassion and i don't know everyone has different opinions on i think how to approach the unhoused problem the way i operate i think it's just i think the unhoused problem is just a good example of of where freedom breaks down yeah and our ability to to engage with it too and you know i think the way i like to go about it is that if i have an ability to give then i do and i'm not going to question what that giving necessarily will turn into i don't think that's my place right um because for me, there's also that selfish component with the giving. And I think a big part of it is connection. You know, I feel some thread of connection when I do that. Um, yeah, that's a, it's a really interesting metaphor, though, that it embodies kind of lots, lots of the areas of freedom that, that I've learned about. But when I bring up connection, that is like, I think if I were to categorize all of the answers in my book i mean there's a handful of these like domains but there's like these three buckets that kind of i noticed popped up more than others one of them was connection the other one was fear so like these stories people shared with me about facing some type of fear in their life and how this fear was an attachment they had that they did not need to hold on to i mean fear can is a good thing you know a lot of times but Others, it's these false stories that we carry. And the question one one person asked me was, what's on the other side of your fear? And a lot of times that just, it's a, it's a question I like to ask myself because I, I know the answer is usually freedom, a sense of freedom, a feeling of freedom. So fear was one of those main buckets. And then the final was, um, I kind of call it like flow state and creativity kind of talked about this before a little bit, but anything I think that in some ways equally engages your mind and body in the form of some self-expression, an ability to express yourself. We mentioned music and dancing. I think moving your body, right? Like we can find that in the gym. We can find that doing handstands. We can find that skateboarding, surfing, mountain biking, you name it, right? But uh, yeah, those are, thinking of it in that way where these these activities that I, I love and find passion from are arenas that can bring freedom into, into my life help me kind of shorten the access road to to doing them right where it's like okay like i'm a little tired i don't don't want to go work out but 
just knowing that on the other side of that, like I can almost define it as like, I'll feel free. It helps me go do that more times than not, if that makes sense. 100%. I really, I, I like the, the, what, what could you call it? Like the Trinity or the, <laughs> the trifecta, the, you know, those three domains, I think connection, yeah, connection, fear, and um, creativity or self-expression. I think that's key because, you know, when, when talking about the unhoused and this problem that we have, a lot of it comes down to autonomy, but a lot of people not having the capacity to exercise autonomy for various reasons. And if we take autonomy or this ability to be self-directed, which um, kind of feels when you think about it as something that uh, belongs to the domain of freedom, uh, you can you can anchor um, the thinking of freedom or the sense of freedom in those things is connection. Wow. Uh, no matter what I do. I am always loved. I'm always uh, connected, right? So knowing that somebody has my back, wow, that feels really good. That's really freeing. For me, for example, with my family, it feels really freeing to know that there's unconditional love. Like I don't have to do anything or be anybody to uh, exist in this world. Thus, I feel free. When it comes to fear, what I see there is um, somebody or someone who is not necessarily paralyzed, but uh, has the ability to... um, exercise the conscious awareness that there's something that we don't know and the uh, thing that we don't know is what we tend to be most fearful of but it's masked by these other ideas such as um, if I do this I may not be loved if I do this I may lose my house if I do this I may not make enough money to be able to provide for my family if I do this people are not going to like me right so it kind of like feeds back into this connection thing. But then when you get to the point where you realize, okay, we're all going to die. And what if dying is actually the ultimate degree of freedom when it comes to the human experience? All of a sudden you're like, wait, so if death is the worst thing that's going to happen to me, and that's the thing that's going to set me free, then what am I scared of, right? So fear starts to kind of uh, dissolve there. And and this is just now me just playing like little mind games. Uh, But what those two things do, the connection and the uh, appreciation of uh, fear, which is just your ability to not judge necessarily, but be discerning of your actions and the reality of this existence, allows you to express yourself in a unique way, uh, whether it comes from an original belief, which I don't think that's a thing for humans, original meaning purely individual, uh, that allows you to express yourself in a unique way that uh, just allows you to be who you are in this world without any inhibitions. And that being the kind of like tip of the spear of freedom. And my my sense is that that's something that uh, just from listening to you talk right now and conversations that we've had in the past, that that may be the thing that you're arriving at. Um, is that, it, does that sound totally crazy? Is it in alignment, out of alignment? <laughs> no, I, yeah. I, I think... That's a great summary of those kind of three buckets or domains, whatever we want to call them. And when you when you said autonomy, it, it made me think about the word agency and how I think like, you know, if we take the unhoused issue as another, you know, as an example, 
I think whatever the the kind of solution there that will create change will have agency involved, right? Where it's not it's creating these lanes or, you know, whether it's um access to to healthcare, to um therapy, to to housing, right? But within that access there's autonomy, there's agency of the individual and that helping isn't controlled or completely manipulated by whoever it is that's giving it right and there's freedom within that i mean it, it is freedom right the ability to, for someone to have their agency and beyond just their ability to control how they react and respond to things but their agency to just move and and navigate through life and that's where you know, I can recognize that like, just by way of who I am, I have a lot of agency in this world. Right. And not everyone has that in the same capacity that I do. But I, th I think that's such a big part of, of how we can contribute. And that's what I learned is the more I learned about my own freedom, right. Through these hundred co-authors I have in my book, my, my, like they all were my teachers, but the more I learned about my own freedom, the the greater my capacity was to um, support the freedom of others as well. And agent agent yeah, and agency is where that keeps coming back to. And I mean, a, a, an example of it within my process of making the book was my least favorite part of making the book, which was getting everyone in the book to sign a release form. Yeah, which I. Yeah, I hated that because you, well, you're like, do I do it first before we start talking or do I do it after? And I don't think there's a right or wrong way to do it. It's just kind of a bummer of a thing to do because essentially what we're saying is that I've just spoken with you for an hour. I, we've just built a connection, a trust, a relationship. And now I need you to validate that trust with a signature. I can't just take your word, right? And that's disconnecting us right why can't we just like and listen i understand why it has to happen too right like, yeah because we've been proven to be devious people we're just devious creatures yeah but it's, we say one thing and then we do another yeah but you know i'm i i do trust everyone that i built a connection with you know but for me to actually publish this as a book i had to get these release forms signed so one of the things I instilled, like my core values of the work before I even began was, okay, with these release forms, I'm going to say, hey, like, and I tended to do it at the end of our kind of connection with each other. Most people got it. They kind of knew it was coming, you know, like, okay, we've, let's do it. But I would tell everybody, like, this is your image. This is your answer. I am merely the collector right? This book, you're my collaborator. You know, this is not just me. And right. And part of that is I know it's coming for you. <laughs> um, but part of that was agency. And so, you know, the thing I could control was up until, you know, I, I kind of began the work in, in December and I concluded it, let's say in September. Right. And so everyone I met along the way, you know, I'd say 
until I have to submit everything to my publisher. If for whatever reason you just don't want to be in it, you can call me, text me, email me, and I will take a video of myself ripping up the release form, right? And send you back or delete all of the collateral, right? Because it's, it's yours. It's actually not mine. And you have the agency there to control that. Yes, at a certain line, it is out of my control, but up until that point, right? And I think that was just, and I, I meant that genuinely too. You know, it wasn't just something I was saying to say. And so I think that also was another way I was able to establish trust with people because that came from a real place. But that's part of the kind of celebration of freedom within others is is auton- is, is finding ways to to support their autonomy without you having to be involved in it too much or control it too much. And yeah, you're, yeah I, you're, you're bringing some very powerful things up here. Yeah. yeah. I, 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 <laughs> this is a total potential tangent lane, but I, I just started watching, which um, our friend Lily Plotkin, she, she's the one that always somehow gets me to watch like either true crime or reality TV shows, but, oh, geez. but the, <laughs> the vow I haven't I haven't watched it. It's um about the Nexium or Nexium organization with mm-hmm. um the the cult. I mean it's terrible, but so much of like that manipulation was controlling other people's autonomy and agency. Right. Mm-hmm. And finding ways to kind of cover it up and hide it where it didn't seem like that's actually the mechanism of which it was happening, but that's exactly what it is. It's slowly starting to take away other people's freedom and being in control of their agency yeah it's it's an interesting thing and this is what is is kind of like popping up in my head if we just play with words autonomy auto is self nami is management so management of self agency is um this idea of an agent like when you say an agent for change basically it's like a catalyst the thing that's like a domino it's, it's a domino, the first domino, the thing that creates a reaction, a response, an influence. Uh, and then we take the word freedom, which is free, um, which is no constraints, and uh, the, the, the idea of uh, a domain, a, um, a sense, a quality of freedom. When, when, you, when you take those things, you realize that uh, you can only access that with responsibility. And... Freedom does not exist without responsibility, but there's a point where um, you have to have 100% responsibility to access some freedom. Eventually, when you get to a, a state of pure freedom where um, now you are well-resourced, uh, basic needs are covered, like things are kind of flowing, uh, y- you can afford to uh, lose some responsibility. But it all has to come from you. It can't come from somebody else. Once the freedom is uh, imposed on one, where they say, this is how you need to manage yourself. This is how you take responsibility. This is how you uh, create change. And now we're talking about the education system. We're talking about uh, politics, legislation. We're talking about even culture. And uh, and the reason culture is important is because when you start looking at uh, cults, that's what it is. It's an extreme culture that leads to, if you're with me, if you're with us, 
you don't have to worry about anything. In other words, um, there's very little responsibility you have to take. You only have to do these few things and you'll get everything that you need. You'll be liberated, so to speak. Yeah. Can, can I jump in there really quick? Because I have an example of kind of the, the moment of which I learned this about this relationship in my book. But I'm curious before I tell that to, to for us to define a couple things. Can What do you think the, the difference is between like responsibility and accountability? Yeah. Responsibility, I think, is the way that you choose to um, show up for yourself. It's it's basically how you respond, like how you're responding to your life. Accountability is uh, how you measure that responsibility. Mm-hmm. And a lot of times we think about accountability as like, oh, are you accountable to others? Are you accountable to your actions? Are you accountable? Right. It's that's just a way of um, um, accounting for your responsibility. That that's I think that's the difference. The response is more the relationship and your action. The accountability is the way that it's uh, measured in some way. It's recorded, uh, and this can be you know anything, and it can be measured in. Mm-hmm. It's the quantitative. But but it's 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 the kind of yes no it's the check the box did this person show up today yes okay they were accountable um, you did something that produced an outcome that maybe was a negative is this person responsible for that negative outcome yes are they accountable to their actions meaning did they say yeah you know what I did this thing and it led to this. Right. That's that's accountability. So there's a slight difference there. Accountability is the record. Responsibility is the uh, experience or action. And and once again, for anybody listening, I'm just making this shit up. But that's just where my brain goes when it comes to words. And I think it's important to know how to differentiate between the two. Yeah. And I I love that. Thank you. And so the next layer of that for me is then where does discipline connect to responsibility and accountability? And I'll tie this back into the story of the book in a second. Yeah, so discipline is the action of showing up consistently. And um, discipline is also uh, a skill, meaning something that you develop over time. So discipline produces the ability to respond or be responsible and uh, as you do that, you develop certain traits, skills, uh, ways of expressing yourself that are unique to you. This can be part of the creative process or uh, the act of creating a method or a system that over time uh, shows a, set, a, a level of accountability. And you can also translate something that is accountable to something not only measurable or observable, but something that can be trusted because of its competence, right? So, uh, like for example, if if I if I uh, go to um, like mainstream media outlets, I don't trust one thing that comes out of that. In fact, it's it, it seems um, uh, very um, I don't know manipulative in the way that it's expressed. If we look at politics, like I don't trust one politician. I don't trust one, not one. I don't trust one lawyer. 
I don't trust a single lawyer, right? They have demonstrated some competence in their ability to do things, but they have not been accountable to their original actions. Uh, <laughs> so, for example, just, I mean, just look at the pandemic. Uh, it would be amazing if uh, those who um, recommended certain things now could say, you know what, we have kind of changed our mind. In fact, we went a little wrong here. We should have maybe done it different. And I'm not saying that uh, I would have done it better. No, I I would just like to see some accountability. I would just like to see you taking responsibility of your actions and that showcasing discipline and that discipline giving me the confidence that I can trust you. Furthermore, now you in a leadership position, this is now like pushing it to leadership, uh, you in a leadership position, modeling that for me so that I can do it better. I have a, a story to share that kind of ties that together. So the first time I, in, during kind of my exploration of this word freedom through the book, where I realized that freedom past the feeling, right? When we break away from a constraint, right? We feel this sense of freedom Maybe that's something that is like we leave a job and that kind of extends to a, a, a large sense of freedom or it's going surfing and it's just a momentary, but it's similar. The feeling is past the feeling. If we're able to break away from a big enough constraint, we just have more time and space, right? Like the freedom, the feeling of freedom just turns into a space. The first time I realized this <clears throat> is... It was in um, Santa Fe, New Mexico. I was at a barber shop. One of the tools I used to connect with people across the country were barber shops. It's like one of the first places I would stop when I'd go into a new town. And I would sit down and get a haircut, talk to the the barber. There's other people, you know. It's a it's a very connective space. And I ended up getting a lot of subjects in my book out of that and also just getting pointed in the right direction of, you know, where should I go in this new space that I don't know anything about. There was a man waiting to get a haircut and he was probably in his mid sixties or so. He probably gave me the quickest answer to the question out of anybody. And here's what he wrote. So that's him right here. And here's his answer. And he just wrote, when I lost my first love, I felt free. And he underlined that and just wrote single. It's like, whoa. Um, was not expecting that, right? That was kind of a, a lot of the answers I got were pretty joyful and bright and light. And this one felt heavier to me. And I asked him to elaborate. And he pretty much said like he, um, through alcoholism, had lost his his first love and in her leaving he then felt free to just not be judged to do whatever he wants but then he said i immediately regretted it right and so it it, it kind of made me think of freedom as the space that isn't a good or a bad thing because then it's within that space we have to apply our discipline we have to take accountability we have to have responsibility 
And that's what dictates the outcome of that space of freedom for ourselves. Right. And yes, I think the feeling of it initially is usually an incredible one, but then past that, what is it? And that's where all of these other elements we're just talking about now really became become key, key components to the longevity of that feeling, the sustainability of it, and the uh, and I guess what you decide to turn it into, like, right? Because I think there's a certain cr sense of creativity within freedom too, right? Where freedom is almost your, and I mean, you said this before too, but you know, we're just freestyling here on, on this. I'm not claiming any of this to necessarily be true, um, but it's just what I've learned from other people really is that I think creativity is both the place where freedom is gained and expressed. And what I mean by that is I think like take writer's block as an example. When I wrote the introduction for this book, which is only about five pages long, I spent about two months on it. And the first month was me kind of writing, deleting, writing, deleting, and just feeling completely stuck and I remember just sticking with it. And there was one night when I was in Durango, Colorado. It was probably 3 a.m. I had all of my notes laid out in front of me, my computer open, and something just hit me. And the whole structure of the introduction just kind of presented itself. And I just went into this complete flow state. And it's pretty much what you see in the book today, right? That writer's block was a constraint. The the creativity that I was able to to access was my ability to break away from that constraint and experience a, a level and feeling of freedom. The, the outcome of which I wrote in my introduction is my expression of that freedom. So I both in that creative realm, I gained freedom and, and I expressed through the freedom. Yeah, I think that answers... Um some of the questions that I was uh, asking you earlier in our conversation, which is awesome. What, what do you want people to know about this book? Well, one of my, my hopes with it was to connect people with others that they may never have the opportunity to connect with. And I mean that on every sense of the word diversity, right? Different races, ethnicities, genders, sexualities, just beliefs across the board, political, social, um, and to just take these like very gentle moments to slow down, pause, let go, and to just be open. And I think there's a simplicity I tried to strike with the book, a, a minimalism where it's just a photo next to a short little fragmented perspective, right? And I think that allows us to just stay open because there's not too much there to dig into, right? And so we can just notice how these little fragmented perspectives can have some type of connection to us, whether it resonates with the belief we have or maybe it challenges a belief we have. Both are good things to experience. So that's how I hope the book impacts people and the world is, you know, just like I said before, an opportunity to connect more deeply with ourselves, 
by way of connecting with others. And I think one of the ways like that I guess the book could be used is, is a meditation where you don't have to read it front to back. You can just open it up to one page on any given day and just see how that perspective of some stranger you've never met before could impact your day. And finding ways to, I guess, connect humanity and that's the optimist in me and the idealist in me, you know, is that we can do that. And uh, I hope this book can play some small role in that as well. And to also, I guess, challenge what we what we fear in connecting with others and that it's okay to disagree. Discourse can be okay. I had some incredibly challenging conversations with people that um, I have very different belief systems to, yet I still would remain friends with them today one of your friends, someone I've met a, a couple of times, Logan Gel Gelbrick, is that how you say his last name? Mm -hmm. When uh, Ryan Muncy and I recorded an, a podcast with him, uh, we asked him the question, uh, what's your one tip to, to be better? And he said to seek out disconfirming information. And that has stuck with me ever since he, he shared that little, little chunk of wisdom is like, seeking out disconfirming information, challenging your beliefs and seeing what happens on the other side of that. Um, so I think this book can maybe help people do that in a very gentle way without having to stir up too much drama. <laughs> um, and then I think the other component of the book is that I shot the entire collection of images on film and that was a very deliberate decision to do because, I mean, let me tell you, traveling across the country with hundreds of rolls of film all stacked in a cooler to keep it temperature controlled and then sending it, you know, these d completed rolls back to my lab in San Francisco to develop it and, you know, just praying that it's going to make it there and not get lost in the mail it added a lot of complications to the work and I think made it a longer process. But the reason I decided to shoot on, in film is that it is the, this incredible tool for connection. It doesn't just slow you down as a photographer, but it creates a, it demands a level of trust between the photographer and the subject because there's no instant kind of gratification. There's no ability to review what was just taken right and so i think with portraiture i've noticed when i shot digitally people would want to see the images right away and we are all our greatest judge and critics so people would then oh, i don't like how i look even though i think you look incredible right <clears throat> i wanted to remove that and when people would ask oh can i see the photo i'm like no because we we literally cannot there's no ability for us to review this right now. We just have to trust in one another. So that's, I, I hope that kind of, that feel of the images kind of follows that 
uh, message of slowing down, listening, and and trusting in ourselves and trusting in other people and finding ways to access the knowledge behind that. Because I'm not just saying to blindly just trust everyone, right? Um, but I think if we can actually access a point of openness and enhance our ability to listen, then we can find more ways to trust than not. Um, and also I think just a cool, you know, activity for people to try who you don't need to be a photographer to pick up a film camera, but it will change the way you look at the world and is a, you know, it's maybe an activity that can bring more freedom into your life and go pick up a, uh, disposable camera from, you know, a pharmacy, the, the Kodak fun saver is my personal favorite, but which are way more expensive than I thought they would be. Uh, these days, they are, unfortunately. Yeah. Uh, but you, you make a great point. Um, I assume you preface this in the book and you share that it's on film. But I think you, th knowing that makes probably the experience of going through the book uh, that much more powerful. Um, I, can't, I can't wait to uh, read it and see it. And I'm just grateful that you we're willing to share your ideas and thoughts here and, um, and for including me. That's unreal. Thank well, you. Yeah. I'm, I'm grateful for, for our friendship, man. And a lot of our conversations have, um, honestly helped me, um, make this work in the first place. So, um, I always be grateful for you for that. Super cool. Super yeah. cool. All right. Tell us, um, where can people find the book, find you? Where shall we go? My Instagram, Rye Hormel, R-Y-H-O-R-M-E-L, or my website, rylandhormel.com. And I just uh, worked with my two friends who redid my website, and there's a really cool page on there that um, kind of brings the, the book to life digitally in some way. And then you can find the book on Amazon, Target, Barnes & Noble, um, trope.com which is my publisher's website and yeah i'd be very grateful for any support any reviews um and if anyone is impacted by the book in some way or wants to share their perspective on freedom then send me a message i love love hearing these little fragmented uh perspectives very cool very cool yeah, very cool. Uh, I'm excited for you, and I congratulate you on making this happen. Uh, no small feat to uh, produce a book. So congrats, and I can't wait to see all the success. Thank you, brother. Yeah, I'll have to bring you out a copy. Awesome. Yep. Well, thank you for this. Uh, everybody listening, go follow Rylan. Go check out his book. Leave a review. That helps a ton. And, uh, yeah, we'll see you on the next one. Peace. Peace. This is the Freestyle Way. Yeah.